morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm the preaching pastor here. have the privilege of being on staff and getting to stand before you most days. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to communicate the Word of God. We're in the middle of our, or well, towards the beginning of our Disciple Makers series where we're looking at eight key characteristics of a Disciple Maker of Jesus Christ. Pastor David, a couple weeks ago, explained to us uh, why we shifted from Disciple to Disciple Maker. And then the first sermon was the foundational truth, which is we begin by trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. The second key characteristic is that a disciple maker lives by the Holy Spirit. Thus, today's sermon will be focusing on that topic, on what it means, what it looks like, and how we live by the Holy Spirit. I'd like to begin by taking a bit of a galactic tour through our current cultural landscape, if you will, and that is this, if I'm, I'm pretty sure you're probably aware, and if you're not, you may need to check your pulse, um, that Star Wars is a big deal right now. It is, in fact, the biggest opening for any movie ever, and in only four weeks, now my numbers are a couple days old, so it's probably gone up a little bit, but in the article I read, they had um, sold over $1.8 billion worth of movie tickets just in four weeks. That doesn't count merchandise or anything else like that. We're just talking about first month movie, $1.8 billion. As I look at this series, I, I imagine many of you have seen it and uh, you are familiar with the storyline One of the things that I like to do as a pastor and uh, armchair theologian is sort of look at the implications of the cultural medium and ask myself, you know, what is media or Hollywood or our culture currently teaching us and how does that jive or how does that fit with what I actually believe? Is this the message that I want to affirm and is this what I want my kids to interpret their daily experiences with, or does it need to be tweaked or abandoned altogether? I hope you do that as well as Christians, that you are more like sifts than sponges, that you don't just soak it all up and accept it, but instead you sort of process it through a Christian worldview. So let's walk through Star Wars then, since that's kind of a a big thing right now, and let us, let us take a look at the idea that they are presenting. What uh, theologians or philosophers call this is the concept of philosophical dualism. Whoa. Okay, so don't worry about that, but I think you get the main idea. And it's basically this, sort of like yin and yang. There's a light side and there's a dark side. There is the forces of good and there's the forces of evil. And they are at war with each other. In this war, in this battle, there are certain people known as Jedi or Sith, if you're a good guy or if you're a bad guy, that can sort of tap in to these forces. They understand that the universe is surrounded by some ethereal energy that flows through living beings and can be harnessed at just the right time in order to move forward and accomplish our ends. 
So some people use it for good and some people use it for bad. And they're both going back and forth and back and forth and fighting. And the question then for the viewer or the audience participating in a sense in this drama is, oh no, who will win? The good guys or the bad guys? And you watch it play out in 3D or on the big screen. In a sense, what the movie movie makers are telling you is that the universe is up for grabs. Its fate has not yet been determined. And only time will tell who comes out on top. And it's an interesting paradigm because as you watch it play out, what you see is basically that uh, there are several messages in that medium that deeply resonate within us. And I think, personally, my opinion is that's one of the reasons these movies are so successful is because everybody can say, yeah, that's true to my experience. That's true to my life. I kind of get that. I feel that. I see that. If not in the force, but in my daily experience. And what they get right is this, is that life is a battle. Would you agree that life is difficult at times? That it is a struggle And depending on which state you're in, your struggles are probably dramatically different. But even so, it's hard. Even with all of our nice medicines and wash machines and everything else, life is still a struggle. And here we are fighting this battle, and the reality is we experience on a daily basis the forces of evil rising up against us. They make things difficult, and they make us miserable. And when we look at square in the eye, we say, man... I am not strong enough to fight this. In and of myself, I will fall. There must be some power greater than my own out there that I can tap into at the right time in order to help me get beyond this. There's got to be something. Then we watch this struggle going on in our life and we see the things playing out and we realize that much of it is a real battle behind the scenes. No, we may not be using lightsabers and blasters to physically encounter evil, but yes, we have emotional battles, we have spiritual battles, we have psychological battles, we have relational battles, we have all kinds of wars and fights going on within us and without. I think in a lot of ways, this is what we resonate with so deeply within the Star Wars films. The struggle. But then we take Star Wars and we say, okay, there's this ethereal, impersonal, transcendent force out there. And we say, how does that square with what the Bible teaches me? How does that square with a biblical view of reality? What is a Christian worldview? And what we see is that, yes, in fact, the Bible, like Star Wars, does say that there are two powers. And it says that there is a battle raging. And yet, even though there are two powers, there is only one real power. This is, in fact, the force behind all things. And that force is not some impersonal energy or spirit, but instead it is an actual specific person known as the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. Yet, they are all God. 
So this third person, this specific person, is the force that is omnipresent, that is everywhere, and yet is specific as well. And that third person of the Trinity, in contrast to Star Wars, is not available just to a select few, but instead is available to everyone who goes to God through the Son. So in other words, in Star Wars, it says the Sith and the Jedi. But in the Bible, it says to each and every believer, this force and spirit and power is available to all who believe in Jesus. Consequently, then, we conclude the universe is not up for grabs. It's not, oh, no, who's going to win? What's going on here? But instead, we say that this whole universe, the galaxies, the everything and beyond, was began at a specific point in time by a specific person for a specific purpose. He has a plan and he has a predetermined outcome. So yes, the battles rage, but the war is won. The real force behind all things is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And for us to see that eternal victory play out in our daily lives, in our everyday experiences, we have to harness the power of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, the message for today is that we must live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Now, I'll give you a basic structure of how we're going to walk through that today. This is our roadmap. It is the simple why, how, and results. So if Pastor Jeremy, you are to tell me, live by the Spirit. I want to know why I should, how I would, and what do I get if I do. Why, how, and the results. Let's begin with the why of that question. Why should I live by the Holy Spirit? This is found in John 15:5 and in other places in Scripture. Jesus is talking to the disciples in terms of an analogy, a vineyard analogy. And he says to them, look, in John 15:5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For, apart from me, you can do nothing. Romans 8, 8 says it in another way. It says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In other words... In spiritual metaphor language, we are dead. In and of yourself, you are not powerful enough to face the forces of wickedness in your life. You can't. The Bible says you just plain can't. It's not that complicated. There's no chance. There's no hope without God. You cannot. You're dead. Jesus is our only hope. Now, for the disciples, they're looking at this like, yeah, we're okay. Jesus is with us. We're all good. And all of a sudden, Jesus says to them, oh, by the way, I'm leaving. What? <laughs> what are we going to do? You know, Lord, whom else do we have to go to? You have the words of truth. How are we going to do this? Jesus' answer to them is like this. In John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17, he says, I will ask the Father. And he will give you another, not me, but another. Wait, there's another? Yeah. Another helper to be with you forever. 
Here's who he is, verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, and you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's another. Who is this another? Well, he's a helper. Now, I don't know which uh, Bible translation you're using this morning. For you who like to get into this sort of thing, here's a little inside tip. Uh, in this passage, it uses the word parakletos. Sounds a little bit like the word par- parakeet, if you can remember that. And what it is, is this, is it's a, it is a preposition combined with a verb. So the, the inspired biblical authors are using a specific term to show you a unique thing that really doesn't happen anywhere else. We don't even have an English word for it, so you'll see a bunch of different English words. But basically what it is is this. The preposition is alongside. So there's an alongside aspect, and then there's a kletos, there's a called. In other words, what the Holy Spirit is, is he is deity called alongside of you. He is God himself called alongside. Jesus is leaving, but he's giving another, one that will be in you and dwell in you. This is the parakletos, the the parakeet, if you will. This is the one who is called alongside. And just like a, a, a parrot would sit on your shoulder, if you will, and say certain things, you can think of this as your own personal Jiminy Cricket, if you will. Here is the Spirit of God called alongside of you to do many things. And this is why the Bible uses a bunch of different words here, because we don't have a word called the called alongsider. That doesn't exist. So they take other aspects of his being, things that he does in other places, and this is how they translate it. Comforter. One who comes alongside of you when you're sad and encourages you and gives you strength is a comforter. They call it a counselor because the one who comes alongside you and guides you when you're lost or you need help, you need direction in your life, that is a counselor. They call him a helper because when you are weak, he is strong and he can help you. They call him an advocate. This is, in fact, a legal term because just like Jesus in Hebrew, he pleads our case. It is a forensic sort of thing. So there are so many things that this spirit says and does and is, it's absolutely amazing that that power is within us and really we have no way of summing it up or sort of encapsulating it, so we just call him a helper. He's everything we need. In every moment where we fall short, whatever it is, for comfort, counsel, encouragement, help, strength, advocacy, whatever, he is that. You need it. Desperately. Why? Because we're dead. And we can't do anything without him. It's impossible to please God. And so, we need help from a force outside of us. So, number one, why live by the Holy Spirit? Well, he's the only chance you got. And number two, he is your comfort. He is your encouragement. He is your only help. Why? He's all we've got. Now, the next question after why is how? How? You just told me I should. 
And I might believe you for that, but then how do I do that? How do I do that? The Bible uses a very interesting analogy here. And um, here's how it goes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. When it describes what it means to live by or be filled with the Holy Spirit, it contrasts it to being drunk. And it says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but instead, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does that look like? Well, here's some things you'll see. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, to the Lord with your heart. Now in Colossians 3.16, it's going to give us those same words, but it begins to explain to us the means of being filled. Because when we think about that, that's a little bit nebulous. We're kind of like, okay, wait, wait, wait. You said be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what's that look like? Well, kind of like being drunk. Huh? What does that mean? Well, when you're drunk, you're controlled by a force that is outside of you. That's not you. Something other than you is doing that. It's controlling you. What we want as Christians is a force that is outside of us to control us and influence us and make us do what we are doing. So what is that force or what is that influence? Colossians 3.16 says this is what it is. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not wine, but the word of Christ. What should fill you to be filled with the Spirit? The word of Christ, teaching and admonishing one another in all. Oh, look, here's the same thing. Singing wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. To be filled with the Spirit means to be filled with the words of Christ. That way, in that way, we are controlled by something outside of us. Now, let me give you a little example here. Um, some of you may see that I'm moving a bit gingerly today. I went roller skating with my children the other day. Wow, it's been a while. <laughs> and it's not just because I'm a little bit sore. I actually had a, took a pretty good tumble and landed on my tailbone. And um, as a result, you know, I'm walking around a bit funny. And it's kind of interesting. What happens is this, is they have these speed skate competitions. (laughs) Yeah, I can win that. Just kidding. (laughs) It wasn't me. I didn't fall on the speed skate thing. But my son won it, my six-year-old. And it's really, really odd because what happens is this, is we watched a couple races and um, we saw this one little girl came out and she had, you know, black slick helmet she's got you know tight clothes she's got these long inline skates with giant wheels and she walks not to the starting line but like halfway around to the other side giving the other kids like an enormous lead (laughs) and we're looking at her going wow this girl is amazing and sure enough she you know ran circles around them without any trouble and then at the end of the race the two guys who are running the race, I heard one of them say, hey, is that your daughter? Like, these are the guys that work here, you know. And so they're assuming that this little girl, of course, gets it naturally because, you know, her parents own the roller arena or whatever. And so she wins all the races because she's grown up since she was a year and a half wearing skates. Maybe so. Then the next race comes and my six-year-old son 
goes out and wins by a lot. And they're looking around and looking around. I'm standing there and they're like, is that your son? (laughs) Well, yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, you just saw me fall right on my hind end. But that is, in fact, my son. No, I have no idea where he got it. Clearly, it was not from me. Some other force outside of him is doing this action. He does not get it naturally. The nut falls far from the tree, and the tree just falls, okay? (laughs) That's it. I don't know. Here's my son, and there's a particular joy in that as a father. And you can look in this fulfillment, and you can say, I'm so excited. You're doing awesome. That is wonderful. And I definitely can't take pride in it, because I did not do that. I just handed you the pair of skates, and all of a sudden, you were good. But, wow, look at that. And that's what it is in the Christian life, too. When, when we begin to bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and someone looks at us, we can clearly say, hey, this is not natural. This tree does not produce this kind of fruit. This fruit comes only from the vine that I am plugged into, and I do that. I plug into Christ, I plug into the vine via the words of Christ. And as a result of plugging into the vine via the words of Christ, it produces fruit. And I am filled with this. And it's not me, and I don't know what it is that's controlling me, but it is clearly outside. This is not natural to the tree. That is why in the New Testament you hear these things like put on, put on, put on. Because all that stuff, put on these clothes or put on this armor, is not natural. We come out naked and ashamed. We are embarrassed. We are dead. In order to produce fruit, something else has to come from without and be put in. And that is the work of the Spirit. John 15, 3 says it like this. Jesus says to them, hey, look, you guys are clean. You guys are clean. Why? Because you cleaned yourselves? No, because of the word that I have spoken to you. How do we live by the Holy Spirit? It's by being in the Bible. It's by being in the words of Christ. Father, Son, Holy Spirit all come together in one and take this tool or this means and it applies it to your hearts. Now, it's really neat the way he does that because we look at this and some of us may think, well, this is kind of a locked-in-time, loaded, concrete text. It's black and white, but how does this apply to my life? Well, I dare you to try it. Get in the Bible, read it, study it, and then say, Lord, how does this apply to my life? And it's amazing then to watch the Holy Spirit sort of weave those themes and those ideas through your life and you begin to see not just... Old Testament stories are amazing miracles, but instead specific answers to specific requests that you're going through. Now, God may not tell you whether to do a Diet Coke or a Coke or a Mountain Dew today for lunch, but he will begin to sanctify you by his words, which are truth. So the way, the how, the first step is by being in the word of God. Then step two is you say, Lord, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to my experience? Now, that is where it gets tricky sometimes. Because we are subjective people with cultural experiences and biases and history and upbringing. And a lot of times we want to impose that on the text or we want to impose that on God. 
And we want to say, okay, I think this, or I feel this, or, well, I know somebody who blah, 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 blah. And any time we do that, and we start dismissing Scripture and pushing it to the side because we're saying, well, I think this, or I think that, then what we are doing is allowing our experience to trump truth rather than truth our experience. We are making ourselves the final arbiters or judges of the word of God instead of letting it judge us. And the real way to approach this is to say, okay, God, I am not going to adjust your word to fit my life, but instead I'm going to adjust my life to fit your word. There's a difference there. The word trumps our experience and never the other way around. So, you begin with the word, you interact with your personal experience, and then you begin to engage in community as well. Now, let me give you a little uh, example here. Not a little, a big example. How does, how, does, how does this work? Well, think about Jesus. Jesus is the all-powerful, almighty son of the living God. Now, when you look at him... And you think, okay, he's being tempted. What's going to happen? If we enter into Star Wars mode, we're going to think that Jesus sees the devil and he's like, okay, come on. You know, and just and blast him with lightning and throws him against the wall and spins him in the air and drops him to the ground and all this really cool stuff. And we're like, yeah, go Jesus, get him, right? Got him, slam him again. But what does he actually do? Nothing like that at all. He does exactly what you and I can do every single day. He takes the word and applies it. If he was to use some fancy force kick or something like that, that's something we could never do. But he takes the ordinary means of Bible study and prayer and takes on the most powerful alternate force in the entire universe and slams him to the ground. It says, thus saith the Lord. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by... (laughs) Yeah. So, what are you going to do? Do you need force? No, you have it. You have the power of God right in your hands. The Holy Spirit, the Bible, and prayer. Apply it. Apply it. Now, finally, the last way in which you'll do so is in community. So you have Bible study, you have individual experience, and now you have community, Christian community, i.e. the church. Small groups, small churches, discipleship groups, accountability groups, life groups, whatever. In Christian community is one of the ways in which you see the work of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Well, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, we as individualistic Americans like to say, oh, cool, that's me. So it's me and my faith alone, and there's no community involved whatsoever. But skip over an ocean or so, and you'll find an entirely different interpretation. And that one is, in fact, right, because it is the second person plural. In other words, it is the Missouri down-home southern y'all. You all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
It's not talking to you individually as a person, like you can just be alone with God and that's it. It's saying you need the community of faith because, yeah, you've got the Bible and, yeah, you've got your experience, but you might need some outside wisdom to come in and help you interpret that because you might be wrong. You need community. You need other Christians. You need accountability in life groups, etc. So, how do you live by the Spirit? Well, by the Word of God, by your own personal application, and finally, through Christian community. As a result, if you're doing that, what you will see is, in fact, fruit in your life. In in, Galatia, in John chapter 15, Jesus continues this analogy, this vineyard metaphor, and he says, Look, I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes or he cleans up that it may bear more fruit. In other words, what's the purpose of a vineyard? To bear fruit, right? And if the branch shows itself to be dead, then you get rid of the branch. But if the branch is actually functioning, then you take good care of that branch and you clean it up and you don't let it hit the ground because then its roots are going to sink down into the soil. You lift it up off the ground, you clean it up, and you let it stay plugged into the vine. And as it is plugged into the vine, then it produces fruit. And Jesus says the true branches who are connected to the true vine are going to produce fruit. Well, that's nice, but I'm not a tree, right? So what do you mean fruit? Well, fruit is this. Galatians tells us specifically, this is what fruit is. This is what a mature multiplier and disciple maker looks like. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. This is today's message. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are, it gives a long list of bad stuff, but, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is, notice this equative verb, is. This is what it is. Do you have questions about the fruit of the Spirit? What does it look like in my life? The Bible spells it out. Sometimes, let me give you a little bit of encouragement here. Let me just show you what, what I mean. Sometimes we as result-oriented, production-oriented North Americans are looking at our lives and saying, okay, I'm supposed to be a disciple maker. I'm supposed to be an evangelist. I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to be that. Why don't I see like 50 to 100 people and converts and people behind me? And we get discouraged and we think, hey, I'm producing no fruit. I wonder if I'm really in the vine. But guess what the Bible says? The fruit of the Spirit is love. There's the fruit of the Spirit. Do you have love in you? Do you have real love, biblical love, true love? If you do, then it will manifest itself in these other virtues, which are joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, against which there's no law. Hey, you may not be able to stand up and say, I had 50 different converts this week, but you should be able to say, the work of the Spirit produced just a little bit more joy in my life. I am more gentle this year than I was last. I am more loving. I am more kind. I am more patient. I see God's work at, God's life at work in me in this way. I am more like this. 
And what we decide or we realize then is that being conformed to the image of God's Son is not just doing, but is in fact being as well. That we are being transformed to his likeness or to his image, which is character-based. Who is God? He should be reflected in you. What are his moral, essential attributes? Here they are. Are you growing in these things? If so, then you are being conformed to the image of his son. You are bearing fruit. Are you more loving? Are you more joyful? Are you more kind? If so, way to go. If not, you need to connect to the vine. In the word, in the personal experience, and in community. So, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. This week, I asked this question on Facebook just because I was like, well, I wonder what people would say. Because it's kind of initially a nebulous term. What is it to live by the Spirit? Or walk in step with the Spirit? What does that look like? And I was a little bit surprised because sometimes when I ask a question on Facebook, you get a lot of answers. But this time, there was only like two. And I said, well, that's interesting. Maybe people are afraid. Maybe people don't know. Maybe it's a little bit scary to say, this is what this looks like in my life. But one of the answers was this. By a friend of mine in uh, British Columbia, he said this. By the way, if you comment on my Facebook page, warning, you never know. This is where it might show up. Here is for this fellow what it means to walk by the Spirit. And I think it's a great summary, so I read it to you. Walking by the Spirit is having the peace of God, the Holy Spirit in me leading me in victory over the things of the world that would otherwise overwhelm me. By his might, I am able to walk through the valleys of life and not fear, for I know he is in me, pointing me to Jesus. And this brings me joy, for I know that of myself, I can do nothing. Praise be to God. And so, I say to you, live by the Spirit. Not I, but the Apostle. Live by the Spirit. Why? Well, he's the only. He's the only chance of success. He's our only comfort. He is our only help. We have no other choice. How? Through the Bible, applying it personally, and engaging with it in community. And the result is that you will be, you will experience more of the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace that you want in your life. In other words, what I'm saying to you this week is I hope that as you go throughout the battles of your daily life, you will resist evil by tapping into the power of the force, the true force, the third person of the Holy Spirit. Because like me, I'm sure you've experienced that life is a battle. And Ephesians tells us in very cosmic terms, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ladies and gentlemen, we do have an enemy, and it is not the Sith. Instead, it is an active 
and personal and real adversary. And you have no idea what's going on around you or behind you or wherever. But you know that the forces of wickedness are out to get you because the devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone who may devour. So put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And in all circumstances, take the shield of faith, which can extinguish the flaming lightsabers, I mean darts, of the evil one. And take on the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. So that when the forces of wickedness attack, you will not crumble in fear or fight back in the flesh. But instead, you will fight back with the Spirit, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Lord.